This episode is sponsored by Better Help. What is the first thing that you would do if you had an extra hour in your life? Oh, the first thing I just thought was, oh, I'm going to need more than an hour to fit that stuff in. But uh, the fact is a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. I know that is for me. That's a big thing, uh, especially you get older. <laughs> um, and the question, you know, time for what? What would you do? Would it actually make you feel better? What is it that you feel you're missing in order, you know, that that would make it better? Um, and and one of the ways to sort of help figure out that out is is therapy. It can help you find out what matters most to you so you can do more of it or focus on what it is that you're spending your time on that that maybe isn't giving you that that sort of fulfilling experience. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of times people talk about therapy or they talk about mental health or it's about uh, trauma or it is about, you know, like like a, a great amount of pain or anything. And those things are all very valid and everything. But also, you know, in some ways there's stumbling blocks. Uh, there is sort of a, a, something indefinable that you're having a hard time getting to that maybe is stopping you from feeling as confident as you can, as good as you can. And, you know, therapy uh, is, is one way to go after that. If you are thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, is designed to, be, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You may switch therapists at any time you like for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talk Explode with Philip Sablik from Top Cow. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan from iFanboy.com. Today we are talking to Philip Sablik, publisher of Top Cow. Uh, it's a division of, of Image Comics, originally started by Mark Silvestri. And uh, they've got a lot of interesting stuff going on, including their pilot season, which is a bunch of number one issues, one of which uh, will get chosen by the readers to continue on and, and finish up the story, where the other ones will not. There's only one. It's, it's a bit of a game show, but with comic books. Uh, we'll be talking about that, other stuff that Top Cow has going on, and uh, plenty of interesting stuff, so stick around. Thanks. Hey, this is Josh, my fanboy, and I'm with uh, Philip Sablik from Top Cow. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm pretty good. I'm I'm all right. And uh, you uh, you are in my mind one of the busiest guys in comics. That's what I. You're always always working. You're always on there. There's no there's no rest for the wicked. Um, I- I think I think the key thing is that uh, whether I am or not, uh, I, I, I think it has become my de facto uh, social networking persona that that I am always busy, which may just mean that I complain a lot. Yes, yeah. that's entirely possible. Uh, I, I know people who complain a lot. That's not. I don't think that's what's coming across. We won't worry about that. <laughs> um, now you are the the publisher uh, at Top Cow. And um, I, I guess I guess before we get started, what if people don't know sort of what the differences are between that? Why don't you Why don't you tell tell the people listening sort of what that means and, and what it is you you do there in general? Okay, uh, I'll do my best. Um, I've, I've really kind of been unable to explain what my job is to uh, my parents or my in laws. So well, yeah, the the educated comic audience, comic reading audience will be able to get it a little bit better. But um, the roles kind of uh, shift around uh, since I took it. So. Um, my my primary job right now is to kind of spearhead uh, the editorial at Top Cow for publishing and kind of oversee and manage the production and the marketing. Um, about r- roughly the beginning of this year, I think February or March, um, Top Cow, which had previously been kind of wholly independent from from Image, um, you know. W- we worked with Image, but we essentially did everything in-house. Um, we kind of consolidated some of our operations down, some of the redundant operations, and uh, we're working much closer with Image now. So they handle kind of um, the heavy lifting uh, for the production of the books as well as uh, the marketing. Um, so what I do is I just try to – I kind of act as a, um, a cat herder. <laughs> best way I can describe it. Um, so I try to corral uh, creators and uh, various kind of 
aspects of the production to make sure we get our books out on time uh, to varying degrees of success. <laughs> it, it sounds like that uh, you do the job of many people. Uh, I, I think that's fair. So that's there. I mean, I just I I know that that you're dealing with like a typically a, a publisher would be the person who's sort of looking at the overall line, sort of from a business standpoint and an audience yeah. standpoint. Whereas you know, from a cr- creative head, would be something more like an editor in chief, and then at the same time, you're doing marketing stuff, and that's uh, that's at least three hats. Uh, yeah, so it, it's. It, it is one of those things where because we're a smaller company, um, my title as publisher probably doesn't marry up with you know uh, the equivalent mm-hmm. position at like Marvel or DC or, or even you know a mid-sized book publisher because like you said I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm much more involved in the day to day and kind of the uh, uh, hands-on um, stuff that goes into making the books. but at the same time, I do more than just edit the books. you know I do uh, work you know, with image really close to kind of develop marketing plans and, you know, coordinate press releases and coordinate, uh, coverage. Um, so, uh, publisher seems to be the, the hat that best for better or for worse, but, uh, it's good. I, uh, it's, it's exhausting, but, uh, definitely the most fun, uh, ever had professionally is, is doing this job. So I know. Could you imagine not working on comics? What would you do? It would just be, uh, I don't know. I've actually, you know, I think I think all of us, uh, as is the case with anything that that you um, love to the degree that I think most people in comics love comics. Um, at, at, at various points, I think we've all had that urge to just kind of like throw up our hands and and walk away and just like, oh, it hurts too much. All this all this comic stuff. It's it's too near and dear. And every time I've had that like kind of passing thought, and I try to imagine working a, a quote-unquote regular job, you know, um, something that I, that I wasn't passionate about. Um, I, it's just really depressing. Isn't it? You know? um, yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, if I had to guess, it, it, you know, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be involved in some other form of entertainment or, or some other creative field, whether it was, you know, video games or film or television or, or traditional book publishing. Um, and also partially because that's all I know, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a very specialized, uh, skill set we have, I think. Um, I, I hope I'd never have to make that decision. Um, <laughs> we all do. Although, <laughs> although I'm sure you and, and virtually anybody else, uh, who works in comics and is married has had this conversation. I know I've had this conversation with my wife where, um, she's actually looked at me, you know, juggling all this stuff and, and traveling and doing all this kind of all-consuming, this, this all-consuming career that is comics. And she looked at me at one point and said, this isn't going to get better, is it? And I said, uh, honestly, no, probably not. It's probably always going to be like this because I'm never, uh, I think it's impossible to to be that guy that, you know, looks at the clock at six o'clock and goes, well, uh, my eight hours for the day, I'm going home now. <laughs> It's true. I mean, like the thing is, uh, and you know, the reason that I sort of brought up the thing about being busy at the beginning is that everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people who are into comics think about working in comics. And I just, I wonder sometimes if, if the fan base has any idea what, what that means. I just, think, I, you know, I, I think they have a better idea now just because we're, you know, it, it, the industry is so much more accessible than mm-hmm. it once was. Um, I know certainly you know, the closest kind of insider information I got when I was, you know, a teenager was reading an interview in Wizard, which was, you know, good, but hardly, you know, super in-depth, hard-hitting investigative journalism. So, um, uh, so I, I think they have a better idea, but I do think, uh, everybody thinks it like imagines comics is the best part of comics. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I would certainly love it if, Every hour of every day at my job was filled with, you know, talking with writers and artists about creating cool new stories and, and you know, how can we make this book better and uh, uh, kind of pushing things forward creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is somebody's got to, you know, proofread books for typos and, you know, make sure that files are formatted the right way and, you know, that your production artist has the right, you know, uh, 
assets to put together a book and figure out what the ads are going to be and make sure that the copyright information is correct. <laughs> I mean, there's a ton of stuff and that's, that's all, you know, to do with the production of the book. There's um, countless things that go into making this all work that uh, is just, you know, less than fun, but it's still beats the alternative, I think. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a ton of stuff and a lot of stuff goes into it. Um, speaking of which, I, I guess sort of the, the main reason that we're going to be, uh, that we're chatting here today is, uh, is pilot season, which is, uh, why don't you uh, explain really quickly what... Uh, what pilot season in, and then, and then we'll get into some of the details about it. Sure. Uh, so pilot season is a annual initiative that we've been running at Top Cow for uh, this is the fifth year. So five, we're almost through year five. Um, and the basic concept behind it is kind of a, a amalgamation of uh, reality competition shows and um, uh, TV pilot season, uh, which is where we've kind of... Uh, the, the name of the event is kind of an homage to. So uh, every year we put together a number of different creative teams um, that pitch all original uh, projects. We put out these self-contained single issues, these pilot issues. And uh, in the best case, these issues are complete, satisfying stories, which establish the world, the characters, uh, the the conceit of a potential series, and then kind of leave you with some sort of teaser or cliffhangers to what might happen if the series were to continue. Um, and at, once we put all these books out, in in the case of this year, we did eight different titles. Uh, the the fans get to vote on which one they'd like to see continue. Um, uh, in past years, we've we've had two winners this year year we we smartened up a little bit and decided to do just one um which which makes it feel more like a win and and the winner goes on to be i guess whatever it's going to be it's not necessarily is it necessarily an ongoing or would it be no in most cases in most cases they are uh what we do is we guarantee some sort of limited series to tell the rest of the story and then there's kind of an opening to do more Mm -hmm. uh should the market demand it um and the reality is that you know in most cases, um, you know, we're we're talking about essentially independent books that are selling independent numbers. So, um, thus far, we've done uh, series that range between four to, I think, six issues. Um, and not all of them have come out yet, but uh, they are all either out or in production. So. And is that decision driven uh, solely by the by the reader vote, or is yes. it a yeah? yeah and that's. And that's kind of what makes, I think, the initiative um, unique. You know, o- over the years, we've gotten a couple questions about like, oh, well, do you guys have like favorite books and do you like try to sway the voting one way or the other? Um, and, and my answer is always, and, and it's true, is that we don't. We we pick the books that we would be happy to do regardless of which one wins. Um, and I think what makes the event work is that um, the fans really are in control. They're telling us what they want more of. Um, and uh, in some cases, you know, it's it's just kind of a, um, a, a true popularity contest. In other cases, it's, you know, a group of fans or creators getting together and really mobilizing kind of a passionate core group of people who want to see the series continue. Um, and either way is fine. You know, the, the idea here is to empower uh, the fans get a bunch of new ideas out there and, and see what happens. Now, um, we're going to get into sort of what the books are for this year um, pretty soon, but I'm curious. So what is the, what is the how does the process work? Um, is it, do, do you guys, uh, you know, contact a bunch of people? It's not like anybody can just send in their pitch, I assume. Right, um, right. It's it's a invitation um, uh, to pitch. And uh, normally what happens is either um, primarily, primarily writers that we've either worked with or um, have uh, kind of had ongoing conversations with, you know, at conventions or whatever, will come up to me uh, or Matt Hawkins and say, hey, I really like this pilot season thing. Would you be open to me pitching an idea or two? Um, And uh, the other way that it happens is if myself or Matt have been reading, you know, somebody's work and we've noticed that, you know, there's somebody we'd like to work with, um, it's a good way to kind of – kind of test test the waters with a particular creator um and we get i think on on average at this point probably 
about a hundred different pitches per year um, that that we go through kind of towards the beginning of the year and begin to try to figure out what we want to put together. And that gets whittled down to, I guess, eight this year. So that's, that's... eight this year. In past years, we've done. I think pr- primarily five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably next year will be much closer to the five or six. Um, from an editorial standpoint, I don't know why I agreed to do eight other than <laughs> I get, I get really excited and enthusiastic about all the ideas and I love like doing this event. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but doing eight books that come out in two months was uh, a, a little uh, the, and the, ambitious. The first issues, the first issue is by far the hardest issue. Because everything has yeah. to be created from whole cloth. And with this, literally everything about it is new from cover to logo to production to what all the characters look like. I mean, that's that's not a small thing. Yeah, and, and I think what makes it additionally challenging is it's not even uh, like writing a first issue. You know, one of the things that's, that's really interesting is as the event has evolved, you know, we've gotten better at guiding creators as to, like, how to write these books. Um, one of the things I thought was really interesting was the, I think it was the first year we did original, is either the first or second year we did original properties. Uh, Jonathan Hickman had a book called The Core, um, which didn't win, but uh, I really, really loved it. It was a really good book. Really great book. Uh, I really liked it. And um, what's interesting is he said, uh, I, I don't know whether he said this in an interview or if it was just something he said in a conversation to Matt and I, um, but he said that he felt like his mistake was that he wrote that book as if it was the first issue of the core. Um, and it kind of in retrospect, he realized he, it has to be even more condensed than that because you have to, you have to give people everything, not just kind of, here's the introduction and I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger because there may not be a second issue. Um, and his, his concept for that book was the, the, the log line was so great. He basically said, uh, uh, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but his concept was that it was going to be an allegory for the middle East in space <laughs> basically was like, imagine that there is like essentially the center of the universe, the, true cradle of civilization of all civilization and uh all these alien races have been here for forever and there's all these you know kind of cold war feuds and ancient rivalries and and kind of this really convoluted deep history and now humanity has just been allowed into kind of the galactic federation and are trying to find their way and what they don't know is that it's like that they shouldn't have been admitted in it was it's all kind of political you know manipulation on on the part of these kind of warring factions and so it, it's it's such a cool idea you know and 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 when you add to that it's like oh and jonathan hickman's writing this book and kenneth rockford's drawing it's like hell i, I want to read that book that book sounds awesome um but uh but i think you know he was very kind of astute in looking back on it and saying you know what I wrote it like a first issue, which is not the right approach to get everybody to vote for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you find that uh, – I, I would imagine that the challenge is to make an issue that's both uh, engaging enough that uh, people reading it are, are, are somewhat instantly attracted to the characters in one way or another, but also that, like getting across all that information and not without having pages of explanation. Which uh, which yeah. can be that that seems to me the big challenge of that. Yeah, and and different writers have have kind of uh, tackled that in different ways over the years. Um, I think you know, it, it, I think the closest kind of structurally thing you can compare it to is a TV pilot. You know, you and and the reason that TV shows along the lines of you know, Law and Order or you know. ER work so much more often than something like Lost is because those shows you can do a single episode uh, and establish here are the characters, here's the setting, you know, here's kind of the world, and then here is what you are going to get every single episode. It's going to basically be the same thing mm-hmm. with variations, as opposed to something like Lost, where it's like, well, here's the characters, here's kind of the setup, but by the way, we're trying to tell this really big kind of grand story. Um, so 
every episode may not be like this. Um, and I think as I think as comic writers, we're not used to doing that uh, with independent work, you know, because in most cases, you know, the, the kind of TV show equivalent franchises have been around for 50 years, you know, mm-hmm. so nobody's really, I mean, with a handful of exceptions, you know, like whether, you know, maybe you're talking about Invincible or, you know, The Walking Dead, um, maybe Chew, you know, things like that. There's not a lot of people doing their own thing where they're creating kind of this this engine for an ongoing series. Uh, I think most independent projects tend to be um, limp, like finite in scope. Mm-hmm. You know, even when you're looking at, at Vertigo projects, I think people are looking at like, okay, whether it's I've got a story that's going to take six issues to tell or I've got a story that's going to take 60 issues to tell. Um, it's not – It's I don't know. It's it's an interesting exercise, definitely. You know, and I think um, uh, it's it's challenging. I think a lot of writers are surprised by how challenging uh, writing, you know, a pilot issue is because even when you compare it to, I've had screenwriters we've worked with tell me this. You know, like if, if you compare a comic to a TV show or or a you know a film screenplay. One issue is basically like 10 minutes. Well, it's cold open and act one at best. Yeah. So, so, but you're trying to get, you know, 30 or 60 minutes worth of, you know, you're trying to get, you know, three acts in this, you know, single issue. Um, so it's, it's tough, but, you know, we, we like breaking people. So do you think, um, this year where, um, I mean, you guys have been doing digital for a long time across a bunch of different platforms. Do you think that this year, uh, pilot season can maybe have a, a bit of a different reach because of, because of its accessibility, uh, sort of across different uh, digital devices and stuff? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, um, we're gonna, uh, the, the voting is going to start December 5th, um, and it's going to run through the entire month. And I'm definitely, I, <laughs> I don't know what the effect is going to be, particularly this year, because I think we're still kind of that's that's the new component to pilot season this year, more so than any other year. But I I certainly think the fact that the voting and the majority of the marketing is online, um, you know, and, and that's where we've got interviews and, and podcasts talking about it. It's it it would it would reason to me that that you know if you've got a link to a place where you can digitally download or, you know, go online and, and read on your, you know, on your laptop that that would make it more accessible for folks. Mm-hmm. So I hope so. I hope so. Cause I think, I think it would be fantastic if even more people were reading these books. Um, well, let's, let's talk about some of the offerings uh, this year. Some of the, some of the ones that uh, I, I've read all of them and I know uh, we, we can start with one uh, by a promising up and coming young writer, uh, called misdirection. Um, I hear that this guy had an in. It's 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 pure nepotism. Sure. Don't uh, don't let anybody tell you differently. Um, yeah. So that 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 was my book, and uh, you know what's funny though is is I, I joke about it, but uh, I I have to pitch my projects to to Matt Hawkins the same way. I mean, I I, I do have an in. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it certainly does give me a leg up, but um. You know, he he's not very shy about telling me when he thinks my ideas suck. So, uh, what's what's the book, and 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 how did you? Uh, I guess use because you've got a lot of experience with this, so you should you should have the formula pretty much down in your head. Kinda, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's it's interesting. Um, it, you can't. It, it's interesting how you can't quite solve the the problem the same way twice you know you, you it's it's unique with every project this project um is about a ex nascar driver who kind of has a fall from grace and he um when we see him in the story um he is uh working a really crappy menial kind of warehouse job he his license has been taken away from him because of kind of the things that happened to him in the past and um He's he's just leading a very depressing life, and all he wants to do is reunite with his kind of estranged wife and and his daughter, who um, he hasn't seen for many years because he was in prison for a long time. So um, this is all kind of the setup, and uh, an old acquaintance comes, you know, 
comes up to him and says, hey, listen, I uh, just found out what happened to you, um, and I feel really bad. Um, let me take care of your problem with your license, and I've got this uh, car service, and I'd like to hire you as a driver, and here's the address for your first pickup. Just, you know, pick up your client, and they've got you for the day wherever they want to go. And he goes there, and um, he's sitting there waiting for his client when three armed men burst out of a bank across the street, and two of the guys jump into the car. One of them puts a gun to his head and asks him what he's waiting for. Why isn't he driving? Um, and then we go off into into a, a, a fun police chase sequence. And, and the idea basically came from me watching uh, one of the many, many uh, high-speed car chases that we tend to have in Los Angeles. And they televise them. You know, it's running on the 11 o'clock news and I'm just watching this guy drive and drive as more and more police cars are falling. him. he's got news copters, police copters, there's roadblocks being set up and the guy is still going. And I just kept thinking like, this guy can't possibly think he's getting away. Like why, why is he still driving? Um, and, uh, and so the story of misdirection kind of came from me trying to answer that question for myself. Like what situation is that guy in that he is, continuing to run from the police what did you find what were the sort of challenges of this of doing this story one of the things i noticed uh is that um your story takes place largely in in our world i don't believe there's uh there's any supernaturalness about it um and and even just sort of flipping through it and looking at it you uh you you managed to do it in a way that there wasn't a ton of exposition you showed me what happened in the past and then you brought me to the present it wasn't like you're plopping me into a world i don't know yeah i mean i I think the 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 advantage of doing the story that i did was that like you said it it takes place in our world there's there's nothing kind of unusual about it from that standpoint so there's a lot less exposition that has to be done um uh i think the biggest challenge was kind of getting the backstory in and as condensed of a format as possible um, and so I kind of used the narrative device of having a, a reenactment show or, or kind of a, you know, a, a disguised flashback, essentially. Um, and I thought that that would be a fun way to kind of transition into the present and then just kind of keep going from there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's, it, it, it's funny cause you kind of make out a list of things like here are the beats I have to hit in this story to kind of establish everything I need to establish. And, you know, certainly I, I, I would have loved to have had more than two pages, you know, to establish Vince's relationship with his ex-wife, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's really important. But, you know, in, in comics, brevity is your friend. So, yeah, that's that's entirely true. Now, at the same time, uh, another book that sort of doesn't take place in the world uh, that we are is Josh Vialkoff and Rasan Ekadal's uh, The Test. They did Echoes. Uh, Matt Hawkins also. Um, and this is a world uh, where a bunch of people, I think it's like 10 people uh, wake up or six people uh, wake up and, and nothing the same anywhere. Uh, they're in this sort of Truman Show kind of area and a big overhead voice is telling them what's what's going on and, and there's a mystery and everything. So w- what is it about a pitch like this that you were like, this is, this is something we want to go with? Well, I mean, uh, we really love working with Josh. I think Josh is probably one of the most criminally underrated. Actually, I don't think that's fair. I think he's, he's very well critically acclaimed, but I don't think enough people know how brilliant Josh is as a writer. Um, and I don't think he has, uh, maybe with, with I vampire, he's starting to get a little bit more exposure, but I think he's a guy that, um, really should be, uh, at the top of everybody's list. So, um, Josh and Matt had been uh, working together developing um, uh, a screenplay for Echoes, and and the test kind of came up as part of that. And um, the initial little nugget of an idea was was uh, from Matt, and then you know he and Josh really kind of developed it, and Josh wrote it. Um, I think just you know it, it, this is one of those tough books where. Um, I think the reason why the idea was so attractive uh, is the mystery that would be revealed um, if if the series continued. Um, so what I can say is I think it um, it walks that great line of 
kind of unsettling horror, not horror in kind of a slasher sense, but there's just a unsettling creepiness to the entire book. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned the Truman show. I think there's that aspect to it. And I think also, uh, the prisoner, mm-hmm. um, is something else that, that it kind of evokes. Um, but the, the idea of just kind of waking up and you can't remember who you are, um, or how you got here, or, you know, and so you're kind of left having to trust this, this omnipotent voice telling you, well, this is, this is the way things are. Um, and I don't think it's too big of a spoiler to say, cause it happens in the first couple of pages. Basically the, the voice says, congratulations, you are the last survivors of humanity. There's something really horrible has happened and we've got you essentially in a, in a contained environment. Uh, and you know, you guys have to repopulate and, you know, start all over again. Good luck. Um, which is kind of a, a, a terrifying, terrifying prospect. Um, and, uh, then to kind of, uh, well, I don't want to spoil things further, but it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, I think it's safe to say that if you like echoes, if you like what Josh and Rasan did there, um, this is, uh, a different kind of story, but kind of a natural extension of their storytelling. I can see. I that. mean, you read you read both. Would you say so? I, there's a similar tone. I think that the the difference between the echoes is sort of right here in our world, and that. Um, <clears throat> but there is definitely like a because they both have a thing going on that that we don't know about, and the characters don't know about, and, and you know, and then a really gross thing. Yeah, they do. This this book does have a really gross thing. Yeah. Um, I just recoiled a little bit looking at it. I was like, oh. So uh, Rasan's good but, at that, but also panties. So, yeah, you know. that's true. Um, they all wake up in their underwear. They've been sleeping somewhere. Some <laughs> some slept sexier than others. Uh, my wake up in my underwear outfit would not be that sexy. I know that this might be too much. <laughs> um, uh, another book, and and this is interesting, is uh, Seraph uh, from uh, from Lance Briggs, professional football player. And yes. and Phil Hester, how how did this come about? Uh, that's an interesting little story. So basically, uh, Lance Briggs, who plays for the Chicago Bears, um, is a huge comic nerd, which is unusual because he is also a massive, massive athletic dude. Um, I don't want to get into stereotypes. I was going to but... say, you just saying we can't start some. Hold on, I'm tired. <laughs> um. So, so, uh, Lance's favorite character is the darkness. Um, and it, it, it's, we actually found out when he created his own, uh, he created kind of a, a, a comic fan site where, um, comic fans get together and discuss stuff. And, and he was really intent on promoting, um, comics in, uh, kind of to an audience that wasn't normally, uh, maybe you're going to be exposed to comics. Uh, mm-hmm. And by audience, I mean fo- folks who watch football and other football players and, uh, you know, people that would kind of be in his normal fan base. So um, we just found out that he was talking about comics and, and specifically calling out the darkness as his favorite book and, and recommending it to people. Um, so I got in touch with his um, his publicist to see if he would be up for doing a, a, a variant cover for uh, C2E2, um, the first C2E2, uh, where he, he would pose a kind of a photo variant cover. I just thought it would be kind of fun and, and appropriate for, for Chicago and something we'd never done before. Um, and so we came out to do that shoot and, uh, kind of his, the only thing he asked was, Hey, can I come to the office and meet Mark Silvestri and kind of hang out in the pit and talk to some people, maybe get some interviews for my website, um, which seemed like a small price to pay to have Lance Briggs on a photo cover. So, um, when he came out, he, um, he pitched a couple ideas to Matt Hawkins and, and myself, and we get pitched a lot of, a lot, a lot of really bad celebrity, uh, comic concepts. Um, and uh, it, Lance actually had one that was really, really pretty cool. Um, and it was Seraph. And the, and the thing that intrigued us about this is that there's some things here that are kind of very classic archetypes. You know, it's he's kind of a um, 
an anti-hero, not even an anti-hero. He's, he's a guy who uh, has been through a number of kind of tragic circumstances in life, reaches the end of his rope, uh, tries to kill himself when um, his guardian angel essentially steps in and says, hey, sorry, I was uh, busy doing something else or I was kind of a, asleep on my shift. I, I missed all this horrible stuff that happened to you, uh, but I'm not going to let you kill yourself. I'm going to kind of bring you back and I'm going to enlist you to be this soldier in kind of this war between heaven and hell um, on the good guy's side. And I'm going to try to redeem you. And um, so th those are kind of classic, I think, comic elements. But what was intriguing to us about the concept was that Lance had this idea that the character would have kind of powers inspired by biblical and Christian kind of mythology, but he, to keep them and to use them, he had to kind of obey the letter of the law of, uh, of the Bible, which when we sat to think about it, it's like, wow, that, that'll be really hard. You know, like I mean, you accidentally, you know, take the Lord's name in vain, all of a sudden, you know, you're flying and the next second you're not. Um, and we thought that that would be a really intriguing juxtaposition of this guy who essentially has to be a soldier and kind of an avenging angel um, and righting wrongs. But at the same time, he's got to kind of watch himself and how he conducts himself. Um, <laughs> so we paired, we paired Lance up with Phil Hester, who uh, was writing the darkness and Lance was a big fan of, and Phil's actually a, a, a football guy. Um, not that he plays um, because I don't, know if you've seen Phil, but he is not a Lance Briggs, uh, physically. Uh, and, um, but, but, you know, he, he was really excited to work with Lance and I think, uh, genuinely surprised because, um, in the time that Lance first pitched us the project and we said we were interested in doing it from that time to when we actually engaged Phil to work with him to write the story, Lance had written like 30 pages of just, back matter on this character on the universe and different characters and so he and Hester were able to sit down and kind of go through that and figure out which pieces they wanted to include in the pilot issues so it was a really cool collaborative process cool um i think uh i think my favorite book out of the out of the group um was probably beauty which i thought instantly and it's 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 i think it's literally page 1 uh, describes a situation that was a uh, very cool sort of realistic sci-fi that I have never, uh, I've never heard of before, but I was like, that's fantastic. Um, why, don't, why don't you explain what it is? Yeah. So uh, kind of the, the precursor to this is that every year we get like a pitch that is literally unlike anything we've ever been pitched. Um, a couple of years back, it was genius, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like, wow, that, that comic is crazy. Nobody's going to do that. Um, so uh, when we signed Jeremy Hahn to an exclusive part of um, the agreement we made with him was that we were going to work with him to develop some of his original uh, ideas and, and get more, you know, help him develop himself as a writer and, and kind of as, as, a, as a creator that way. And one of the ideas he pitched to us in the first time we sat down was a book about an STD. Um, which, you know, clearly there's not enough books about STDs and comics. Not even close. No. Um, so we're like, you know what? There's a hole in the market. We are going to fill it. Um, all the puns totally intended. <laughs> it was really difficult for me there. And notice how I chose the word difficult and I'm, not I'm, a different word. I, I, I'm, I'm throwing you softballs. Man. I know. I, don't, I know. I don't I'm know trying to be professional. Um so the idea is that there's this uh, new STD that surfaces uh, that is quickly dubbed the beauty. And the reason it's called the beauty is because when you contract it, uh, you uh, slowly over time become more attractive uh, in, in kind of a classic sense. So your wrinkles go away. You uh, kind of, you know, lose any unwanted weight. Your skin, you know, clears up. Your if you've got, you know, a receding hairline, your hair kind of comes back in fully, you know, things that were sagging are no longer sagging. It's, it's pretty awesome. And uh, at the beginning of the story, as far as anybody can tell, uh, the only negative side effect is that you kind of run this constant low-grade fever, um, which, as you 
would imagine for a lot of people seems like a perfectly acceptable downside um, to be hot. <laughs> um, so uh, that's that's kind of the, the premise behind it. And um, the story follows two detectives uh, named Foster and Vaughn who were kind of the, the leads on um, an anti-beauty like hate squad. So as as much as there are people out there actively trying to get the beauty, uh, there are other people that think that it's like a horrible abomination and that are are acting violently against people that are uh, that have contracted this disease. And so these two detectives kind of investigate those hate crimes, um, and they get pulled into one and quickly realize that there uh, may be something much more um, horrific. Uh, to the beauty than they than anybody suspected yeah it was it was actually it was a really good first issue i'm not taking away from the other ones but that was that was it really struck me and it's also uh it's very well drawn too so um let's go uh, i guess sort of just quickly through some of sort of what some of the other ones are so that people can look for them check them out and uh and and vote when it's time to do that but um uh, anonymous what's the what's the what's the quick pitch on that so uh, anonymous is kind of a um Kung Fu meets the Equalizer type story. Uh, Equalizer, yeah. there's a there's a cultural touchstone for people. That's right. <laughs> That's right. One time, this is I'm I'm going to go off topic. One time, I interviewed for a job to be an assistant to a producer, and this was in I'm going to say 2002, 2003, and it was in some office uh, like way down in the Universal uh, studio somewhere, and and I went and it was this dark little cave of a place, and the guy had been a producer of the Equalizer. And that was the last thing of note. And it was maybe 15 years later at this point. And I just, I bagged the interview completely because I was like, I I don't want to be here. This is, this is where entertainment came to die. I, I, I will slowly rot here. Yeah. No, that's no good. Anyway, sorry. I think think that's probably the right move for you. Yeah. Uh, So it's about, it's about this guy, uh, Marcus Walsh, who's a uh, black ops kind of uh, military operative. And at a certain point he, um, He's operating in Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, and he has a crisis of conscience. He just can't justify the things he's doing anymore for, you know, his country. And so, since it's not very easy to kind of just walk away from that life, uh, he fakes his own death. And um, is when we kind of see him again, he's living in Los Angeles, uh, off the grid. Um, virtually anonymous as the title would suggest and um trying to atone for his past sins uh so he gets pulled into situations where he's got an opportunity to make things better for somebody uh using the only skill set he knows how which is typically very violent and bloody uh city of refuge city of refuge is a dennis calero art by the way i just want to point that out very good looking book some some good looking stuff in there um so city of refuge it is a post-apocalyptic uh, kind of police procedural a little bit further out than, say, the beauty. And uh, something horrible happened about 10 years ago called the Terminal uh, that resulted in what was left of humanity kind of uh, building, erecting a wall around San Francisco and kind of hiding out, um, which is, I think, something that has been explored before. The, um, the kind of fun twist to the story is that uh, to prevent the terminal from happening happening again um society has willingly uh had this chip installed in the in their brains called secura which essentially takes away the human capacity for violence so you've got this little oasis of completely you know passive people and the only people that um can work around the chip are the security forces that kind of protect the city so when these security guys go on shift they take a drug that kind of um, inhibits the chip for a set period of time and they you know are able to defend themselves or, or act aggressively and so that's kind of the, the, the setup for it the story is is kind of classic police procedural about one of these security guys investigating um, or uh, an incident and uh, we begin to see um, in, in what is this seemingly perfect society that there's many, many cracks and, and corruption and, and kind of problems within it. Shocking. I know. I know. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's weird how, when you, you know, take away 
personal freedom and and all that stuff that sometimes it's it's not all it's cracked up to be um uh there there's the zombie-esque flesh digger which is also quite icky yes it is quite icky it's a this is a classic uh kind of monster horror book uh from uh shannon eric denton who's a creator but also a former editor over at wildstorm and he co-wrote it with um brad Keane, who's a uh, screenwriter who's done um some horror stuff including the grudge three and he uh the two of these guys came up wanted to come up with kind of a, a, a classic monster hero in the vein of you know swamp thing or uh man thing or other things mm-hmm. um and so Flesh Digger is uh, a guy who um, makes the mistake of helping somebody. He um, He's walking you know, uh, down the street one day, sees a couple of guys assaulting a woman in a nearby park, tries to call 911, but has no cell phone service, which probably means he's got AT&T. And so he decides to do the right thing and tries to step in and gets killed for his trouble. Um, and what he doesn't know is that the woman that he tried to help, um, is a, um, is into the occult. And so she kind of, uh, I, I think it would be fair to say curses him uh, mm-hmm. to come back and get revenge on the people that assaulted her and killed him. Um, but, uh, uh, as, as people can see clearly from the cover image, uh, he does not come back, uh, the same way that he left. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, a little bit of zombie, a little bit of revenge. Now, a lot of it. Now, now you, by the way, you're doing very good on this quiz. Great that, you know, details and things. I'm, I'm actually very, I'm very impressed. Uh, and then your final challenge is now to, to briefly explain the theory of everything. <laughs> so, um, on, on, on the one end of the spectrum, we have a book about STDs. Mm-hmm. The other end of the spectrum in this eight field of eight, we have a book about string theory. Um, also, a, a gaping hole in the comic book market. Huge. Like. Um, so, uh, for all the Big Bang fans, we're uh, <laughs> targeting this one towards you. Um, how to explain this simply? So, uh, Charles Witten is a uh, brilliant but kind of absent-minded uh, crackpot scientist. Um, who uh, should have been the greatest like scientific genius that our generation has ever known. Um, and his specialty was string theory, which is the idea that uh, – like one of the ideas behind string theory is the concept of uh, parallel dimensions that essentially our reality is stacked on countless other realities with very thin kind of Im- – perceptible layer dividing it um and that every time you make a decision you know there's another version of you that decided to go a different way um so there's there's a group of thieves at the beginning of the book that break into uh a a vault in a swiss bank um without opening any doors they just kind of pop in and um are interrupted by a group of guards uh they disappear but they leave behind uh a little beacon and so the government goes to charles our main guy and says do you recognize this and he says yes i recognize it it's one of my designs but i never built it and so the rest of our story kind of takes off from the possibilities of other other realities leaping leaping through realities yeah leaping through reality so i think it you know for for people that are um, there's some definitely some similarities, you know, to the things like Fringe, um, but uh, I think it's kind of a, a unique approach to it. And specifically, um, I don't want to give it away, but in the in the issue, I think the character of Charles Witten and kind of why he is the way he is, and then what he finds about out about other versions of himself um, is very interesting. Yeah. It's a very cool book. So there, there is the the lineup for the year. So yeah. So as 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 you listen to this, uh, all of the books will be available, um, either at the store or or digitally for the most part. I think they're all out. Um, so you can check out any of those ideas, and there's definitely some really some really fun ones in there that that are worth checking out. Let me ask you, uh, as you're sort of picking these and going which one, 
and uh, you know and in today's uh the reality of today's marketplace how important is it that these are ideas that can be translated to other media also uh it's it's very important i think mm-hmm. um it, we're always trying to make a good comic first and foremost but i think um any publisher that is telling you that they are not thinking about uh you know the possibility of film or television or video games or books or any number of other kind of outlets for a pro- for an original property uh is uh either not thinking things through or lying mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and i mean the reality is that you know most kind of in uh, our, our industry is is primarily driven by inertia and and you know we all do it you know there's books and characters that we're passionate about because we've been reading about them since you know we were that really young impressionable age where we first picked up a comic and went like holy crap spider-man just blew my mind um so it's it's very difficult to kind of get new ideas out there but new ideas is really um i think the future of the industry and why all these other industries look to comics is because they don't have ideas you know there's more ideas in this you know kind of small niche industry that we love than you know 10 percent of hollywood or sorry more ideas in 10 percent than like all of hollywood you know what i mean like there's there's no shortage of ideas among comic creators which i think is kind of the the real brilliant thing about this but it's it's also you know i think pilot season is our way in, in in a limited fashion of contributing to creating new content you know and creating what could be you know like somebody's next gateway and we try we try to as best as we can with the pitches we get we try to every year make sure that we've got a bunch of different uh styles and tones and genres and types of stories represented so um what i like to tell people is like look out of these eight books you're not going to like all of them you know, um, because, you know, I might like chocolate, you might like vanilla and somebody else likes strawberry and that's just the way it is. So, um, I think, uh, ideally we want to, um, every year have at least one book that someone is going to like, you know, that no matter who you are, you can pick up these eight books and find something you enjoy. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, I'd say that's actually a really good, uh, there's definitely for every year for me, there's definitely been a couple of that's, that's great. And it's a, it's a little sad that I don't get to see any more of it. Um, well, and, and it, and it's that thing too, where like, that's why we really try to get people out there to uh, mobilize and vote because, you know, I, it, it, I think Jeremy and Jason who did the beauty would freely admit that the idea of getting somebody to green light an ongoing series, uh, that centers around an STD would be really, really tough. Um, and, and I think Mark Bernardin and Adam Freeman would tell you that, you know, they had tried to get somebody to publish a book about a female African-American lead who organizes the gangs in South Central LA to uh, see from the U.S. and fight the police you know like that that is a hard sell you know and um but the cool thing about pilot season is that mark and adam really believed in the project were really passionate about it uh for richard's news the artist was really passionate about it and made to mobilize the fans to vote for the book um and and so genius happened and genius was aware you know and, and it you know if you, if it's you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it's, you know, me or Matt Hawk is sitting kind of in the publisher seat looking at 10 different projects and Genius is one of them. It would probably not be the one we would put money down. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to green light one series this quarter. It's probably not going to be Genius. It's probably not going to be the beauty because they're too risky. Mm-hmm. Um, but pilot season allows us to take those risks and to then put that back to the fans and say, what do you guys you know, we think there's something here. Do you guys really like it? Do you want to see more of it? And uh, uh, how can people do that? They got to. They just away. head straight over to topcow.com. Uh, starting December 5th, we'll have a 
voting widget. Uh, the way voting is going to work this year is uh, for the first two weeks, starting December, uh, December 5th, you can vote as many times as you'd like uh, every day. Uh, so if you're one of those awesome, independently wealthy comic fans that just want to hang out by your computer and uh, you know click on the vote button, then by all means. Um, and then uh, after two weeks, we'll narrow the field down to the top four vote getters. Uh, we'll have one week of kind of semifinals where people can vote one vote per person per day. Uh, and then uh, after that third week, we'll have the finals between the, the top two uh, properties. Uh, and again, that last week will be one vote per person per day. So by the end of the month, we will have a undisputed champion who will have kind of run the gauntlet. Now, uh, just just before we get going, uh, I, I guess uh, uh, what's what's your sort of take on the on the state of uh, of Top Cow uh, these days? I know that um, since you since you took over, uh, a lot of things have happened. A lot of stuff about. I guess sort of the image of Top Cow has has changed a little bit. Not not, not entirely. It's still it's still the same same company. And um, but you know, what sort of direction are are you guys looking in now? And 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 how do you look at your your line? Top Cow's uh, image, you know, has um, suffered over the years unfairly from kind of being connected with that first inception of the company 20 years ago. Um, and I think image to a lesser extent, well, to a lesser extent now, I think they're a little bit further along and kind of uh, changing people's perception of what the company was it, it, or is. Um, and, you know, we've certainly, I think the company certainly had plenty of, of things that don't match up to the perception. You know, we're the company that published J. Michael Straczynski's first work with Midnight Nation and Rising Stars. We published Wanted. We published, uh, you know, things like Impaler um, and and just a variety of books over the years uh, that I don't think people would necessarily immediately think like, oh, that's a Top Cow book. Um, and then over the last six years, uh, we've really kind of worked hard to change people's perception of the Top Cow universe titles, so Witchblade, Darkness, um, primarily, and then you know Magdalena and, and Artifacts to a lesser extent. And um, I think Ron Mars has been a huge part of that. Um, I think Ron um, brought with him uh, not only a fan base, but kind of a credibility to like, here's this writer who is about character. And if he's writing Witchblade, then maybe there's something more to this character than, than what I thought beforehand. Um, so I think as far as where the company's headed, um, in many ways, it's similar to what we've been doing for the last few years, which is uh, we're really trying to make the Top Cow universe a alternative kind of shared universe to uh, Marvel or DC where you can come in and for, you know, basically 10 bucks a month, get an entire universe worth of stories. Or if you just want to pick up one title for three or four bucks a month, you uh, can just read that title and not feel like you have to buy anything else. Um, and it's, you know, has the kind of same melodrama and kind of soap opera aspect that superhero comics have and like same kind of action adventure but with kind of a supernatural leaning mm-hmm. um so it's it hopefully appeals to people that also aren't into capes and tights so um that's a big focus for us for 2012 it's our 20th anniversary coming up and um so we want to make sure that uh, coming out of artifacts we we're creating really accessible jumping on points with witchblade and darkness and artifacts and um and then the other, you know, kind of the other half of, you know, what we do is we really try to create new uh, properties and new characters and new concepts that we introduce into the market. So that's through pilot season. That's through standalone series like uh, Sunset or um, I'm trying to think what else we have coming up. Um, things like Son of Merlin that we have coming up, uh, series that we're in the midst of right now, like Netherworld or Mysterious Ways, you know, they're um, standalone series that hopefully push the envelope and and offer something that isn't already being serviced in the market. What's the, what's the, um, Minotaur, what came back over the last year, uh, you know, Echoes was part of that in, in your book, Last Mortal. 
Yeah. Um, can you explain what that is and, and you know, how that how that's going to look going forward? Yeah. So about two years ago, uh, Matt and I were looking at some of the pitches we were getting and realizing that there were projects that we wanted to do that didn't necessarily fit into kind of uh, our perception of what the Top Cal brand is. So the Top Cal brand um, tends to always have some sort of, um, I guess, best way to describe a supernatural element, and in some cases that takes kind of a fantastical or, or sci-fi element, but um, relatively grounded, but with that, and then very high production values. So you know, kind of the the film equivalent of your summer blockbusters, um, and we were getting these pitches and these stories that we wanted to do that uh, were more grounded and were kind of, you know, you could draw a parallel closer to an uh, an independent film, um, and so we wanted to differentiate those books somehow and and have kind of a different imprint, and so uh, we had Minotaur Press as an imprint that we had. Uh, that had been dormant uh, since we did uh, Obergeist and Felon uh, years ago. And that just seemed like a great place to kind of, you know, do a book like Echoes, which is very, very grounded. Um, still, I think, thematically th- fits with what we do, um, but isn't necessarily a kind of a big high production value type book. It's more of... Um, it's black and white for one thing. It's black and white, yeah. All the Minotaur books are black and white. Um and that was part of that was intentionally done to kind of separate um, those books from the regular Top Cow books, um, and to you know one of the things we wanted to do is we wanted to present these books and these projects uh, in a format that might get uh, let's say some of some more literary readers to give them a shot in a way that they wouldn't necessarily try. Um, you know, Witchblade or The Darkness. Um, so we did Echoes and Last Mortal last year. We're uh, getting ready to collect Last Mortal. And then next year, uh, we've got a title called uh, Cutter that we've announced that's going to be the next Mentor Press book. It's by um, uh, Bob Napton and um, Kevin Seamus Fahey, who's a, um, or sorry, Seamus Kevin Fahey. I, I switched the middle and the uh, first name, but uh, he's a, a really great writer that's been working on Spartacus that uh, he and he and Bob came to us with this uh, kind of slasher story that they wanted to tell with the twist. Um, and then uh, Chris Tabari's uh, drawing that and doing some just really fantastic kind of black and white toned ink wash work. I, I think people that liked Echoes will really enjoy Cutter as well. Cool. Um now that um, you and Matt Hawkins are, are primarily doing the uh, the a lot of the editorial stuff, um, how how is Mark Silvestri still involved? Uh, he you know he's the the image founder that that Top Cow is is was you know based on his work and and mm-hmm. uh, he, I know he's he's still around. So how do, how does he work uh, with you guys on a on a sort of a regular basis? Well, he um, he tends to be involved much more in kind of the big picture stuff. So when we were putting together uh, artifacts um, for about a year. Uh, before we really got into the production of that event, uh, myself, Mark, Matt, um, Phil Smith, who was a editor here at Top Cow before, and then Ron Mars, we would get together and meet on a weekly basis. And Mark's one of these uh, guy, like guys that really has brilliant ideas. So you know, if you bring him into a room, he he's one of those guys that. Like myself and Matt will talk all the time, kind of, um, you know, a mile a minute throwing ideas out. Mark might only throw out two or three ideas in a meeting, but they're all better than 50 ideas that I threw out. Um, so I I think his influence on the company is probably imperceptible to a lot of fans, um, but it's definitely there and he's definitely, you know, involved. He's also been over the last few years working on a number of kind of projects that will hopefully come to fruition in the next uh, year or two. Um, one of which is uh, September morning, which we uh, announced back at San Diego. It's a, uh, a multimedia project that will have part of it will be a comic, but there will be a music component, uh, kind of a, a, a reality show component to it um so he's he's 
spends a lot of a lot of his time working on kind of big picture and big idea stuff. And then he just drew the Hulk. So he's got that going years. on too. Yeah. So there that that kept him a little bit busy. Um. Now now. And this is finally the, my, my last topic of note. Uh, you, in the, in the middle of doing all this other stuff and being, you know, one of the busiest, hardest working guys in comics, you've also been writing stuff here and there. Um, we just talked about the, the Last Mortal. You and I talked about that. It came on the video show that we did for New York Comic Con. And uh, you did one of the pilot season ones. So are, are, have, you, have you put out everything you've got? Are you got anything coming up? Um, I do have some other stuff I'm working on. Uh, nothing I don't think that is officially slated yet Mm -hmm. but um both matt and i are always kind of developing ideas on the back burner and uh i suspect i'll probably have something in the next year but i don't know what it is and um you know the kind of the responsibilities at top cow always come first so Mm -hmm. um it's it's kind of hard to predict when that'll happen but it's it's a really nice creative uh release and um Matt told me when I first got here and uh, he said the same thing to Rob Levin when he was here. He He's always felt like editors and I know there's there's other companies that disagree with this, but editors that write or have written are better editors because they've had, the act of writing makes you much more aware of kind of the nuts and bolts of what it takes to, to craft a good story together and, and you become much more aware of kind of um, the, the problem solving and kind of the, the, the roadblocks that tend to crop up. So, And have you uh, found that to be true? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I know, I know it's definitely worked the other way, you know, and, and, and I've talked to other editors that have written or, or write or have transitioned to, you know, be full-time writers and um, watching other people's process helps, helps you figure things out and vice versa. I think, um, you know, when you get into having to, it's, it's one thing to understand kind of from an academic standpoint, um, you know, how, how an issue should be paced or, um, you know, how transitions should work in an issue. But when you actually have to do it, Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's like the difference between watching somebody, ride a bike and then actually riding the bike, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think it's a good philosophy and I, and I certainly appreciate the, you know, the opportunity that it affords me to kind of have that creative outlet. It's a lot of fun. And, and you know, you're doing that as a side thing really. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be tough to fit it in, but, uh, it's I, fun. I, I, I don't read or play a lot of video games anymore. Oh, my poor cobweb covered Xbox. I uh, know. The only thing it's used for now is watching Netflix. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, wait, you have time to watch Netflix? Hey, I, I've got a baby, so, you know, yeah, there's know. not much else you can do when you're rocking that kid. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. Well, thanks so much for uh, for talking to us about this stuff. Uh, you can make sure to get all of these books. That, that you, There's lots of ways to get all the books that we've talked about, so take advantage of it and, uh, and get out there and, and look at all those. And, uh, well, thanks very much. Thanks, Josh. I want to thank Philip for talking to me about Top Cow for all the stuff that they've got going on, including Pilot Season and Minotaur and the regular books and Top Cow Universe and all that. You can check that all out at topcow.com and you can follow them at uh, twitter.com slash topcow. Or you can go to ifanboy.com, check out all the stuff that we've got going on there, comment on this podcast and everything else. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.